This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to John Donahue, whom you may remember from such movies as Bloody Mess on the Highway, and also as Gibraltar on the Major Spoilers forums. He's not Troy McClure, but this one goes out to him anyway. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we got the W.O.W., we got the amazing D.W., we got the old school T.A., and no S.O.P., and if the V.P. is such a V.I.P., we'll need to keep the P.C. on the Q.T., because if the V.C. finds out and he goes M.A.I., we'll be S.O.L.P.D.Q. Steven makes a mistake of watching the tape. Rodrigo desperately hopes no one mentions musical fruit. And Matthew wishes he'd just gone and had soup with the hot girl like he planned in the first place. Hey, everybody, we got a brand new boom time to spread the word. Pass it on. Are you ready to dance? Are you ready to boom? Are you ready to feel a brand new tune? Wahula Zuma! The Major Spoilers Podcast is going over the legendary everyone welcome to another issue of the major spoilers podcast so glad that you could be with us as we cruise Yay. into the end of the year holidays just around the corner but before that matthew gets a birthday happy birthday matthew hello it will be tomorrow depending on when you hear this it may be in the future people I thought it was on the 13th no 15th no 17th Yes. Ah, happy you got it in 17th six. birthday, Matthew. Yes, I will be 17. I'm hoping that my voice stops cracking soon. <laughs> and you can't wait to meet Hello, him. Hello, Sue. I'm sorry I have the plague. <laughs> Matthew's birthday just around the corner. That's exciting news. Mm-hmm. Indeed. What are you going to do for your birthday? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm going to have barbecue. Mmm, Barbecue going to have a whole bunch of people from college show up and we're going to sit in somebody's living room and have barbecue and probably play board games and do things that, you know, boring old fat people do. Hooray! Yay! I Steve knows that. what I'm talking about. Yes, yes, I do. He's no, more of all of those things except for one. I didn't do anything on my birthday. <laughs> except I think we recorded a podcast or something that day. We may Anyway, sure. speaking of podcasts, yeah. let's get into some news for this week. We got a couple of items that we could talk about. We're going to put them on our big wheel and let Matthew spin that around. Number one, we've got World of Warcraft Cataclysm shatters all records. Hellraiser oh, Catechism. Catechism. World of Warcraft yes. Catechism. <laughs> Hellraiser and Clive Barker come to the studios. Merlin returns to the Sci Fi Channel in January. Mark Wade is now freelance. And uh, any thoughts or reactions to the Dirk Gently BBC miniseries that. Uh, the trailer was just launched on our website to this past week. Spin that wheel, Matthew. Let's see what is going on. I think it transformed. <laughs> Into a Mountain Into Dew machine. One. So this past week, this was uh, kind of big news. December 7th was the launch of World of Warcraft Cataclysm. Or if you've seen that uh, YouTube video of the girl who totally mispronounces it, Cataclysm. Nice. Uh, broke all PC sales records for 24 hours in 24-hour period. Sold, uh, what was it, 3.3 million copies of the upgrade to World of Warcraft uh, between December 7th and December 8th, mm-hmm. 2010. 
shattering the previous record held by Blizzard in World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lynch King, which sold 2.8 million com- copies. Yes, I've the, already the had Lynch a little King bit to drink is about David and his yeah. movie Blue Velvet. <laughs> uh, and that was back in 2008. So, Rodrigo, what does all this mean? Um, this this is basically just another notch on Blizzard's belt, as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, they they have it's it's interesting though because they have more subscribers. Yes, than what Cataclysm sold. Can you? Still play World of Warcraft without installing Cataclysm now? You can. The thing is, it's just like when previous updates were released. In fact, the uh, content, most of the content rolled out in the week before Mm -hmm. uh, the December 7th launch. We had the whole new world was there. Uh, Not all of the uh, items were there. Not all the quests were there. A lot of the big bosses weren't there. A lot of that stuff wasn't there for you to go on. Mm-hmm. But all that data was rolled out. So people who were going into the game could see it. They couldn't start in the new uh, areas, the playing the goblin or the worgen uh, characters. Um, but they could still do everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you can, you know, basically pretty much do uh, most of the game, except for those for those things with that without installing that latest release. R- latest release, though, is pretty sweet. Mm, there are something in the neighborhood of 12.2 million people worldwide right. that play World of Warcraft, and so seeing 3.3 buy it in that first 24 hours is a True. pretty big deal. Uh, the other thing that I thought was kind of neat, and, and I think both of you might be able to weigh in on this, is instead of going and standing in line at midnight, mm-hmm. waiting to get my copy, and then coming home and installing it, I went ahead and did a digital release mm-hmm. so that... The past week, everything downloaded to my computer, and then on launch day, at midnight or whatever it time it was, activated. it just activated itself, and I thought that was great. Mm. And, you know, there's a, I know, Matthew, you play some online games. Rodrigo, you play some video games. Mm-hmm. Um, is, this a, is this a kind of a cool way of delivering content? I know PlayStation and Xbox have been doing something like this for a while with some titles, usually old mm-hmm. titles. Mm-hmm. Well, uh you know, I used to play City of Heroes, and all of all of the updates for City of Heroes were free and right. downloaded. You know, it, they just it was basically just a big giant patch, right? Um, which is basically what all this stuff is. You know, it just mm-hmm. it, it applies the same way. Um, so I've I've seen it done before. Granted, you know, again, City of Heroes stuff was free, which might be why they're in the crapper right now. <laughs> um, and. And uh, Blizzard can certainly get away with this being the number one MMORPG by leagues. Well, and that's kind of in itself maybe a little bit misleading. Maybe subscriber MMORPG because Mm -hmm. what is that uh, Free Realms or whatever that game is? It's an online MMORPG game Mm -hmm. that's free. But I think they have something like a billion people that play that game or at least a billion people that have signed up with their their addresses. that's, That's the thing with... With a game like that, where you don't actually have to pay, it's a lot more likely that people will just go and download it and then never touch it again. So right. it would be interesting to look at exactly what their player base is. Because, sure, it's probably the same thing with WoW, but I bet you it's the number of people that play to the number of people that are paying is probably much closer than it would be for a, a free game, the number of people that have downloaded it and signed up to the number of people that are playing. Yeah. Now, I will say this. I've, I haven't had time. We've been busy with major spoilers and mm-hmm. other things going on. I really haven't had time to play that game 
a lot over the year. Maybe I'll be able to log in. I think in the last year, I was able to log in maybe 10 hours the entire year, which isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. And since Certainly the release, not for, that, that's, not for that, 15 bucks yeah. a month or whatever it is. But already since the new launch, I've been trying to play it at least an hour every night. Mm-hmm. And I've had quite a bit of fun. It's a totally different experience, even though I'm not up into the higher uh, areas, the higher player areas. I'm still down in the low 50s, mid 50s right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new content is awesome. Is and it, it's fun to play. They've taken out a lot of old content too, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they have. They I mean, they flooded, they flooded one whole land. Mm-hmm. Um and a bunch of others that they've changed. Some others of these huge rifts. Essentially, it's this dragon that's come and unleashed. Right. Heck. Uh, heck all over the world of Azeroth. And it's totally different. I mean, it's it's very cool. And I, I've enjoyed it a lot. Matthew, do you have any interest in uh, the Memorcabugs? You know, Kevin Nash retired this last month. <laughs> yes. Does he like the Memorcabugs? Uh, I have really no context for it. My only real Memorcabugs experience is kingdom of loathing which is pretty much a, an entirely different Wait, piece. isn't that isn't that your house the kingdom of loathing uh, Matthew sits uh, there uh, hey, with up. his iron fist no my wife <laughs> used to play paperback <laughs> she used to play diabler and she would go and beat diabler and then there'd be that weird creature with the head but yeah um i have friends who play world of warcraft and you know they are super excited about new ways to have cyber sex with people oh, um so that's they got that cool. going for him. Yeah. You oh, know, Rodrigo, nice. this past week, we kind of teased it last week about uh, um, there's no such thing as an RPG mm-hmm. in video games or whatever that right. you were, were going on about. And, you know, I, I will say, and there's a lot of, you know, back and forth going on on that article. There, there, was, there was a lot more response to that article than I expected. The interesting thing, and, and again, you, and I don't know if it's the same on City of Heroes, but on mm-hmm. World of Warcraft, there are... Um, RPG realm specific, yeah. where when you go in, if you're conversing with other people, you have to be in that part, and you have to mm-hmm. act as if you were really that character. Right. And that's kind of a little bit of role-playing, right? Oh, yeah. But that's not what you're talking about in your article. No, what I was what I was referring to, and people have said, well, no, you're wrong, because in, in, in MMORPGs, you, you do have that option. But the thing is, it's still not vital to the game. For example, if you go in and fight a boss and beat the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't then say... I mean, you can say, oh, by the way, a while I was fighting that boss, my little orc, my orc tooth got chipped, so I will hand it to you, my brother. Oh, right, right, right. And you can wear it as a necklace. I mean, sure, you can, sure. but your character doesn't get in his inventory one orc tooth necklace. Mm-hmm. You know, things like right, that. It's like, right, right. you can roleplay, you can put a, a thin... Or thick and delicious layer of role playing on top of it, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's not angel food cake. Mm-hmm. Is, is yeah. kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. What What really surprised me about the feedback, and I don't entirely think that it came from you because your tone was, you know, pretty even in what you were saying. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a thought process that you were somehow saying that the MMORPG was inferior, yeah, because of that, and you know that obviously wasn't the case, but. I think that the one thing that really sells it for me is if you look back to Critical Hit and the things in Critical Hit that recur, uh, you know, in terms of the themes and in terms of like, what, what is it? The, we, we call them the, the lizard monkeys. Right. Mm-hmm. 
The lizard monkeys are not called lizard monkeys, and Rodrigo does not have a character sheet that says lizard monkey. Whatever they are, the characters named them, and I believe in character, yeah. lizard monkeys, and it's stuck. Yeah, the portions that. of that, yeah, there are portions of that game. Um, I believe, you know, it's, it's always been part of my understanding that the, uh, Exilarchy of Cogs came from Brian's character development and not from your original plan. Correct. Okay. So the Exilarchy, which was a huge portion of season two, is something that was not originally part of your plan. And it, you know, it became part of it as, you know, a, a portion of Brian's character that you were able to use in different ways and in pretty fascinating ways. I cannot log in to the world of Azeroth and create, you know, Death Strike Blood Force tomorrow and say, I want to do this in my backstory and have it affect the outcome or even, you know, just the trappings of the outcome of the game. The outcome of that game is the same, whether I go in and I make Death Strike Blood Force today, or if I make Chauncey Throttlebottom tomorrow, or if I go in and make, you know, Dracona Salaramanadvora Trelunder, all three of these characters are going to be in that world. And my role-playing is not going to change unless there's one of those if-then statements where it's, well, if you stab the merchant, then you become chaotic evil for the rest of this game. Mm-hmm. But if you save the merchant, then you're a member of, you know, the Liberators. So I think that, you know, it's not saying that the MMORPG is wrong or bad. It's just that it's not really an RPG primarily. Well, it's primarily a video game. The the whole reason why I even why I arrived at that thought process is that by the strict definition of a role-playing game the broad definition of a role-playing game every video game that was produced after 1998 is a role-playing game because it's the it's legend of zelda castlevania Leg- yep all of those Pac-Man. you know basically if they have if they have decisions that impact the character, they're an RPG. Halo's an RPG. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if it's like steeped in story, it's an RPG, which is too Grand broad Theft of a Auto category. 3. Yeah, it's too broad of a category. If everything is a role-playing game, then basically nothing is a role-playing game. So the reason that I arrived at that is that basically you either have to have the narrow definition of role-playing games, which no role-playing game, no video game will fit into, mm-hmm. or the broad definition, in which basically if you are making fun of the other players while you're playing Candyland, it makes it a role-playing game. <laughs> uh, you can find uh, Rodrigo's comments, uh, his editorial, over at Majorspoilers.com if you're listening to the podcast and not at the site already, or if you've never been to the site. I would encourage you to check it out because we've got a lot more news over there, we've even got some reviews and some hero histories. Matthew cranked out one on Frankenstein <laughs> over the weekend. Love Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Wait, that's my Dracula voice. Monster heroes, right? Right. Dell Comics uh, back in the day, which was the publishing arm of Western Publishing, and that's a long story that I won't go into, had the rights to monster movies. So in the 1960s, they did comic book adaptations of Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And since they had the rights, and since the Batman TV show had made superheroes the next big thing, they decided to create superhero versions of Dracula and Frankenstein and a character called Wolfman, Werewolf, who doesn't really fit. But um, you kind of have to see him to believe him. Mm-hmm. Just the Wolfman, yeah. Or no, they called him the Werewolf. Um, and they're one of those legendary, you know, Holy Grail books that took me forever to assemble. 
And so I was perfectly willing to damage my already screwed up copies by, you know, taking the whole things to the uh, scanner to do it. But imagine, if you will, Bela Lugosi's Frankenstein putting on a red leotard and punching crime right in the face. And that, my friend, that, if that doesn't sell you on it, then I don't know what you're listening to this show for. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a fascinating look at characters from days gone by. That's what hero histories are all about. Speaking of things gone by... Uh, there's a big rumor, and we've talked about it a little bit, that uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, that fantastic series from DC Comics, mm -hmm. which they canceled so early in its life. You know, they never, never should have done that. You know, Rodrigo? They should never have done that. I've, I've yeah, heard. Rumor has it that the uh, Dark Knight Rises, the third uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie, mm -hmm. is going to be based on Legends of the Dark Knight Prey. Right. And I thought... Was that, that a full arc, or was that a single it's a, issue? It's a uh, full arc, five-issue five arc. arc, I think. Uh, features Hugo Strange... Um, it, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to take a, a look, kind of an in-depth retro review look at these issues. It's been 20 plus years. I haven't mm -hmm. read them in almost 20 years. Um, or I guess it's 11 years. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, big difference in nine years, 11 years. Um, and one of the things I also wanted to do is this is probably going to be a really interesting arc for people to want to grab so that they can read it for themselves and compare it to the movie. If indeed this is what Nolan is basing his film on. Mm -hmm. Well, you can go over to Amazon right now and you can look for the Prey Trade paperback. It's selling for $476. What? Yes. One copy used, $476. I didn't look on eBay, but I thought, well, let me go down to my local comic book shop. And here in Hayes, it's Hastings. Mm -hmm. They've recently upgraded and updated and, um, and, in, and expanded their comic section, including a bunch of back issues. And I said, I wonder if I could find these issues of Prey... At Hastings. I mean, I have them back in the Nerd Room of Doom, all mm -hmm. five issues. I read them when they originally came out. Hello, I'm Matthew. Uh, but I went to Hastings, and I got to tell you. <laughs> your Matthew your Matthew impression <laughs> needs work. It is neither, it doesn't sound like Matthew, and it's not nearly as ridiculous as his impression of you. That's so you, you need to work on that. I went to Hastings. Actually, your impression of me almost makes me respectable, and that's problematic. <laughs> I went to Hastings and was surprised that I could find issues of Legends of the Dark Knight. Three of the five issues, issues uh, parts one, three, and five, in the back issue bin. But I was appalled at mm. the selection and organization of the Hastings back issue bin. Now, this is in our store. I don't know if this is in all the other 275 Hastings nationwide. But if they're anything like the one that I encountered, boy, Hastings has got a long way to go to become a respectable comic book shop. Right. Although they are moving in that direction. They are moving in that direction. I would bet that if I went to... Uh, Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies, Huntoon Engage, Topeka, uh, yes. I would be able to find all five parts of this arc. I believe we have a complete run of the first 50 issues of Legends of the Dark Knight. There you go. Uh, looking at and then Spotty up to the end. I believe we've got some holes in the mid-70s. I'd have to go check. Issues 11 through 15 are what people are going to be looking for. So you can head over major got spoilers. Them. I've got a uh, little feature that I wrote on my experience going and searching for these back issues, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the first installment of the Retro Review of Prey. I was hoping to have the second one up today, but I'll probably have it up on Wednesday some point. We'll do all five issues so people have a good uh, idea of how good the story is or isn't. Mm -hmm. So you'll want to check Paul out. Galassi, Paul Galassi, Paul Galassi. Let's talk about Paul Galassi. Let's talk more. about Paul Galassi. His art He's is awesome. really good. His art is really good. There are a couple of times his faces are not, are a little uh, wonky, mm -hmm. but uh, otherwise... Yeah. Really good stuff. Galassi faces are like Mike Mignola faces. Occasionally, you'll just look at them and go, ah. 
Yeah. But the overall effect of the art is just wonderful. Yeah. What Matthew and I were talking before the show. That's just something about the smell of comics mm-hmm. from this time period. And it's weird because right now I've compared side by side the issue that I bought in Hastings bagged and boarded and my issue that I pulled out of the nerd room of Doom bagged and boarded. They smell exactly alike. Mm-hmm. Total different storage. People were talking last week and over at the Major Spoilers forums about how comics have changed. The smell of comics has changed. Yep. You don't it's, smell... It's different different processes. You don't smell now. this paper, and it's not a mildewy smell. Mm-hmm. No. It's not It's not the you know old school, here's a 12-cent DC that somebody kept in, under a dresser, you know. Yeah. But it's definitely there. I, I have always assumed, and I used to work in a, a, a very small-town newspaper, and the nine of us who delivered papers would actually hang out in the back, and this is completely unsafe, and we probably would have been sued, uh, in the back where they stored the big rolls of paper. And I always associate that smell with the big barrels of ink. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like it's an ink smell. It's it's not unpleasant. It's vaguely kind of chemical processy, yeah. but not like, you know, not unpleasant. It's kind of like the smell of, of diesel fuel from a distance. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's one of those those things that I really miss about comics now because comics these days have yeah, no they sense at have all. The, the comics today almost have a... Uh, I want to say, like a new plasticky smell. Yeah, and and you know what it Not is? It's like the gloss. Car- it is. It is the gloss. It's the gloss. It. The gloss. What it does is it has its own smell, which right. is very mild. Right. And it also I you have to really f- I think traps whip. in the smell of the ink. It must because, because it's basically it basically the, the gloss is basically like a plastic or possibly actually literally a yeah. plastic. Well, that goes yeah, on top at of least everything. A the interesting right. thing though is. This smell of these comics that are 11 years old smell exactly like I remember them smelling when they originally mm-hmm. came out. You don't have to take a big whiff on these. <laughs> so all of a sudden, boom, it's 1986. Steven Schleicher walking down the street in Hayes. Hey, ladies. All the ladies have really tall hair. How you doing? I'll be back to pick you up later. Yep. Yeah, it's... Steven himself has really tall hair. Really tall hair back in the... In the 80s and 90s. Yeah, boy. He did. He totally had the... He almost had the kid and play fro for a while. <laughs> uh, not quite, not quite that straight, high. It was straight up, it was, and it was like yeah, flat-topped, and it was like... Flat-topped, yeah. And we're that back. back All right, right everybody. I wouldn't recommend sniffing uh, comics for long periods of time, because whoo! Certainly not old ones. I sat in a room with a bunch of old DCs the other week, and man, I got such a good buzz. All right, we're going to take this quick uh, little break here, and then we'll be back to talk about some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, Sit back and relax, and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Mm, smelling all those comic books while we're talking about oh, <laughs> people man. donating to the hey. site. Don't poke that young blood, man. It's like, whoa. Colors. So anyway, this... There was these pink and green sumo wrestlers, right? And they asked me if I could give them a ride up to Batman's house. And I'm like, sure. Hey, did I tell you about the dream I had last night? That's quite all right. You can head over to the Major Spoilers Forum and find out about Matthew's dreams. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, good. John. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. for. 
Cheers. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for John donating this week and for everybody that's donated to the Major Spoilers cause. And thank you, everyone, who uh, purchased the Critical Hit uh, Season 1 Limited Edition t-shirt. Those should be going out in the next couple of days. We're sending them to the printers on Friday. Should get them back on Friday, too, is what I'm told. So be looking for them. Hopefully some of you will get them before Christmas. What was that, Matthew? That'd be cool. If people waited. If they waited, they waited too long. Yes, they did. But, hey, don't worry. That item may be gone for the store, but the store is not gone. But you're going to go there and go, well, there's no other products in the store right now. Don't worry. 2011 is is just around the corner. It is. Let's talk about some reviews. Reviews. They are the reviews of things which we review. And I think I'm singing like Elvis today. Oh. Let's start with some comics that came out this past week. Matthew, Thunder Agents number two. Thunder Agents number two. Uh, for those of you in the know, the Thunder Agents were a late 60s uh, semi-legendary cult comic book about a group of superhero slash government agents who each had a special device that gave them superpowers with special limitations. Uh, the man who owned the rights, John Carbonaro, passed away a couple of years ago, and thus DC is bringing us a new generation of Thunder Agents. Uh, issue one came out a month ago. That means it's time for issue two. That's pretty much all the background you need. One thing, one <laughs> thing real quick. Issue, Let me ask I, you something I, I, real yes. quick. Go ahead. Um, yes. Do these Thunder Agents exist in the DC universe? That is at this time unclear. Oh. There I've, has not been a clear reference in these two issues to say whether or not they do. I've got a question. Yes. Do they each combine to form one giant Thundar agent that goes in and pa pa pows everybody? Okay, first of all, that would <laughs> that would not be Thundar. That that would be Voltron agent. <laughs> Thundar had the fabulous sun sword and a telepathic girlfriend with a balcony you could do Shakespeare off of. <laughs> Now, the original Thunder Agents were Dynamo, who had super strength, Lightning, who had super speed, although Lightning's not original, but that's neither here nor there, Menthor, the Freshmaker, who had uh, telepathic and telekinetic powers, and No Man, who could turn invisible. None of them are in this issue. What? All of them are on the cover. What? Well, I guess I shouldn't say none of them. This issue begins with uh, the two characters that we met last month, Toby, who is kind of a fatuous little jerk and the girl whose name escapes me who are the handlers of the thunder agent squad they are not actually superheroes themselves and this version of the thunder agent seems to be almost a superhero death squad uh last issue in a battle with an evil terrorist organization named spider all of the agents were killed what they were able to yeah all of the thunder agents were blown away in the first issue And this issue is almost entirely about Henry. Henry comes from a particular area area of Kenya where lots and lots and lots of people who are, you know, excellent world-class, top-of-the-world-class runners come from. And Henry gets in a situation and bad things happen to his family, and he has no choice other than to take up the Thunder people when they come to him and say, hey, how'd you like to be our new Lightning? So the second half of this issue, Henry puts on the suit and becomes the new Lightning. And the thing about Lightning is that 
He uses super speed, but he doesn't have a speed force or any energy powers. He's literally burning his own life energy to run at super speed. Mm, that's not good. Yeah, the original uh, Thunder Agent Lightning guy, Gilbert, by the time he was 35, looked like he was 70. And in this issue, we actually see a new take on Lightning's powers, which really is kind of neat. It's creepy, and it's morbid, and it's horrible. And I'm not going to spoiler it, because I want you to go out and pick this book up. It's that interesting. And we get to the end of the issue. And the end of the issue finally gives us, you know, the other shoe drops. Remember, I talked about those original agents. Yes. Dynamo was just a schlub. And, uh, of course, Lightning was a, a secret agent who was burning up his life force. He's certainly dead. Menthor died during the original series. He's obviously dead. But the fourth core Thunder agent was Dr. Anthony Dunn. Mm-hmm. No man. And Dr. Dunn downloaded his brain into a computer and was able to move his mind back and forth between synthetic robot bodies as No Man, the immortal agent. And the last page of this issue, they send in their new lightning, their new dynamo, their new mentor, and they're all going into the fighty fighty. And she sneaks off into the corner and she's like, we've got something they can't see coming. And you see Dr. Dunn step out of the shadows, pull up his cloak and turn invisible. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> so, one of the original agents is in the book. There is literally nothing, and, and at this point, there wouldn't be. There's nothing in these issues that would tell me whether it's in the DCU or not. I would say probably, but not certainly. Uh, what was that book you were reading, The Mighty, a couple of years ago? That was oh, a yeah, DC yeah. That was imprint, a DC book, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. It was a DC book, but it didn't take place in the DCU. Nope. I, th- so, I have a feeling this is the way it'll go. The Thunder Agents will kind of do their thing until they become popular enough or until there needs to be a crossover that has them interact with the rest of the DC universe, at which point they will bump up against Checkmate and then the Justice League. And that's the thing. This is not something that's been done before, but if it's in the DCU, there are a lot of questions that have to be asked. Like... The existence of lightning killing himself to death when the speed force can be tapped. You know, the fact that uh, Dynamo, who has the ability to pick up a submarine, you know, can pick up several hundred tons Mm -hmm. is considered, you know, a functional superhero in a world where, you know, Superman can, I don't know, move the moon with his bare hands. Sure. I would prefer to see this stay in its own world simply because of the the black ops nature of this series. Well, yeah. and the, the and the arc. and the downside aspect of their powers, which you know every yeah. other DC hero doesn't have, right? Right. With the exception of and, Mr. Terrific, with hmm, sure. Well, and even that, I mean, Lightning is very clearly and always has very clearly been. What if the Flash were more realistic? And. Yeah. To some degree, that's going to be problematic if the actual Flash can show up and go, hey, you want some Speed Force? Yeah, So for me, I'd like to see it in its own world. And it deals with, you know, kind of a Black Ops under the table thing that doesn't really make me happy in the DC Universe, especially, you know, with Max Lord running around and the Generation Lost and all of the big, dark, negative stories that they claim they're trying to get away from. Mm -hmm. This issue is beautiful to look at. And it's it's interesting, but again, as with issue one, it's more interesting to me as a longtime fan than I think it is 
addressable to John Q. Public, who doesn't really know or care what a Thunder Agent is. Is this a miniseries? No, it's it's an ongoing. Okay, then so again, how long, you know, the question then is, how long before this miniseries is canceled? Because I have a feeling, I just, mean, I'm not trying why, to be mean. Why you got to bust balls, Steve? I, I just have a feeling that the way that comic sales are going, and this is a relatively unknown group of characters. Sounds like a but good, it's got it sounds like a great Yeah. It sounds like a great Nick hook. Spencer from Morning Glories yeah. is writing it. And well, the art is, you know, good. And I think that, you know, it has a chance. If they can get past six issues, this is my this is my prediction. If they get past six, I'll guarantee twenty. I don't see more than twenty five unless it really breaks big. Unless a bunch of people start going, Oh my god, this is amazing. 25 is unlikely for me, but I've been wrong before. I want to be wrong because I want this to go forever. Ha ha, Thunder you, Agents. You woo. had mentioned the uh, cover having kind of nothing to do with what was inside or very misleading cover. Uh, Viper Comics, uh-huh. uh, I got uh, Nosferatu, uh, the vampire uh, updated modern take on Nos- Nosferatu book. Haven't read it all the way through, but check out that cover. You see Nosferatu anywhere on that cover? He's he's back um, there. He's he's way wait, wait, back wait, there behind the two scantily clad uh, uh, ladies with the giant. Bosoms. That is one seriously perky, bouncy, villainous kind of vampire. There, yes, very. Interesting. I want to buy two copies of that book and put my face between them and go. <laughs> That's uh, Viper Comics Nosferatu. For those of you who are interested, the cover is very interesting. The art inside also very interesting. Matthew, what did you say? You Meanwhile, were, uh, back in the actual review, yeah, three out of sure. five stars. Three out of five stars. Excellente. All right, that is from DC Comics. This week I picked up a, a new issue coming out, a um, new miniseries from ITW Comics called The Suicide Forest, out this week. Brand new comic out this week. This is a... I've not read a book like this before. It is a book about uh, what Akigahara Forest outside of Tokyo. Aokigahara. Wherever it is, it's this very well-known forest that people go and commit suicides in. Just go and kill themselves for whatever reason. They've been doing this for years. Uh, so I guess there's something like 50, 70, 80 deaths a year by suicide in this forest. So this book is about people who kill themselves in that forest. And the first issue finds these two workers who go around and hang up signs saying, please don't kill yourself. Go seek professional help. And at the same time as they're going through the forest, they find the dead bodies and bring them back. One of the characters of those body collectors, and they play very minor parts in this story, has something that we don't know about. She's willing to spend the night with these dead bodies to kind of banish the spirit on their way so that they don't haunt and roam the forest or so that they have some kind of peace. So there's a little bit of a horror aspect of this book. Okay. The bigger story focuses on a gaijin, American, who is dating a, a, a Japanese girl, and they date for a year and they have a terrible breakup. And on the night that they break up, uh, because he can't deal with her drama or whatever, he goes out with friends and parties and has sex with one of his co-workers in the alley. 
She, meanwhile, slits her wrists and goes into the forest and hangs herself. And that's how that issue ends. It is creepy. It is depressing. My guess is her spirit is somehow going to come back and haunt since this is kind of labeled as for fans of Japanese horror. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not kind of like the ring horror, but almost like that. Um, This is, like I said, this is a different one for me. It's a different kind of story, one I wasn't prepared for. It's not superhero in any way. The art is, um, I don't want to say hard to make out, but it is not a traditional art that you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. A lot of scratching, a lot of um, rough colors in places. It's, it's very kind of hypnotic after a while, but it's also very graphic because you see you know, the blood of the people and the, the dead bodies and that kind of stuff. Um, but the writing is good, though. The art takes a little bit of getting used to. It takes about five pages into the issue before you're kind of comfortable with this flow and how it fits into the story, but it fits into the story very well. If you like the art style of that movie, The Ring, which was a remake of a Japanese uh, horror movie, mm-hmm. um, then I think you're going to like the look of this book. Very weird. Very different. Um, not, your, not your cup of tea, but I liked it to uh, cop another phrase. From one of our regulars here on the show. We have regulars? Uh, yes, we do. We have a show? We have a show. This whole thing that we do every I Tuesday night when we I thought we were just talking to each other. 3.5 out of 5 years, stars. years, I thought it was just you and me. 3.5 out of 5 stars for this book. It's interesting. If you're looking for something different, it's worth picking up. I'm not sure all the stores are going to have this, this issue in stock. I don't know if they've ordered copies. Do you guys get a lot of IDW there at the uh, Gatekeeper? Yeah, we actually have a whole IDW section. Excellent. Well, check it out at least. It is a recommended read, not a recommended buy from me, but three and a half uh, slices of meatloaf. Mm -hmm. So it's called The Suicide Forest 104. Uh, Writer El Torres and um, art by Gabriel Hernandez. And I think some people know that name. So interesting. Also coming out this week, another book from Boom Studios, a new issue. Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. How's that series going? It's, it's really interesting. Um, Darkwing Duck number seven is uh, the latest one. It is the second part of, or the second issue of the second arc of mm-hmm. this book. The first arc is over. The Duck right. Knight returns. Right. Um, it turned that turned out pretty spectacular. Um, and now we're in the second arc where. Um, we finally uh, are see Negaduck again, mm-hmm. um, and basically he's running around stealing Darkwing ducks from other dimensions, hypnotizing them, and then just letting them loose in Saint Canard. Really? Yeah, it's called Crisis on Infinite Darkwings. Oh, excellent! Um, and it's it's interesting because clearly they're making all these uh, all these references as they go, but. For example, you know, the the Duck Knight Returns and Crisis on Infinite Darkwings are not actually parodies of the titles that they are parodying. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not they're not parodies of the stories themselves. Right. Just they're the, actually their own stories. Right. Um, which is pretty interesting. Um at the I think at the beginning of this arc, um, no, at the end of the last arc, Goslin becomes able to activate the Gizmo Duck suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so now Darkwing Duck has to deal not just with keeping his, 
daughter out of danger, which, you know, historically she always jumps into. But also now it's not like he can even physically keep her from doing it because she's so powerful with the dis- with the gizmo duck suit. Um, the, um, the status quo of the first arc has been flipped over the... Um, crime bots have become hero bots, which are, are are now being controlled by Launchpad, who is the new CEO of Quackworks. Mm-hmm. It's like at the end, basically Scrooge McDuck comes in and cleans everything up, um, buys everything that needs buying and gives it to the good guys. And everybody's very happy with Darkwing Duck up until these random Darkwing Ducks from different dimensions show up. And they're all ridiculous. There's Darkwing Duck with two heads, Caveman Darkwing Duck, Spaceman Darkwing Duck. Um, it's it's just kind of ridiculous, um, but very, very just just very interesting. Like all of the all of the little subplots and stuff. There's a lot of foreshadowing, um, and in this uh, issue, there's a big reveal of who basically. They think that this crazy stuff that's going on with the water is related to either the Liquidator or all the Darkwing Duck showing up. It turns out it's completely unrelated, but it is a big reveal of who the bad guy that is doing, you know, bad things to the water turns out to be. It's, you know, it's kind of impressive what the uh, Darkwing Duck comic book is becoming. It's, It's very interesting. It's a cool superhero comic book. That because it's comedy can get away with a lot of really interesting exploration. Not to mention that it draws from two gigantic pools of potential jokes and potential action. One, superheroes in general, which it can parody. And the other one is Disney. As the the previous issue had this just hilarious panel where uh, Darkwing Duck and Launchpad McQuack can get back together. And... Um, as as sidekicks, so, you know, right, not, right. not not romantically. Right. Uh, they don't they don't do that. But um, he says, "Oh, it's good that you can have me back as a sidekick because there's not much I can do as a pilot slash sidekick." And it has this panel in which he's holding up the Rescue Rangers little shampoo bottle ship or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh no, I can pilot this." And Gadget is on his shoulder, going, "No, no, you cannot." <laughs> um. There are all these little references at the very end. You know, the bad guy is under the big bad guy is underwater, going like "rar," and you can see Sebastian from the Little Mermaid oh, towering cool. in the corner. Yeah, um, it's it's really it's it, it's really kind of spectacular what they're doing with it. Um, well, you know, there was a it's kind of just jump in here. If you watch, and this is more in the basically from Little Mermaid on, mm-hmm. if you watch the 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 Disney stuff, not Pixar stuff, but if you watch the Disney films. Supposedly, every film contains a reference to one of the other or multiple other Disney oh, films. Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's what they're doing here with Darkwing oh, Duck. Oh, absolutely. Throwing those little um, nuggets in there for people to find. In, in previews, I don't think it's been in this one, but um, everybody is like basically picketing Darkwing Duck and saying, boo, we hate him. You know, when there's trouble, you blame DW and right. things like that. And somebody in the background has a sign that says, bring back bonkers. Oh, that's great! So, <laughs> it, it just there's just tons of stuff like that. That if you used to watch the Disney Afternoon, it's like this is going to be a great ride for you. This issue in particular is dense because there's a lot of explanation. 
and there's a lot of setup. You meet Darkwing Ducks from other dimensions that are clearly going to be important, but in this issue, there's just a lot of meeting people and a lot of explaining things. So it's not so far the best issue in the arc. That's probably the very first one. I'm going to give this three slices of meatloaf. Um, and it it's it's definitely the thing where I am very much looking forward to how this arc resolves. Partially because now we've seen um uh what mega or what negaducks uh what his role was in having darkwing duck drop his darkwing duck stick and just be a normal person right we've seen that and now that's going to get resolved hopefully within this arc and that should be very interesting because not only is it hilarious and does a lot of superhero stuff but it's also it also injects a lot of uh actual character development into mm-hmm. these characters that mm-hmm. are cartoon characters. So um, Boom Studios has been doing a lot of these Disney titles. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got um, DuckTales slash uh, Uncle Scrooge Adventures, Mickey mm-hmm. Mouse Adventures. We've got Darkwing Duck. We've got Rescue Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Nemo. Um, we've got, a, you know, Toy Story and and um, and um, Cars. Right. What If you were to take a guess, Rodrigo, what would you think another... Bang Zoom property from Boom Studios would be hmm. teaming up with Disney. Hmm. What would you like to see? What I would like to see is a Gargoyles comic. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. I can't say anything, but can't I'm going to bet uh-huh. that before too long we will see the next announcement from Boom Studios. I'm willing to bet that a next announcement from Boom Studios regarding Disney properties will be a Gargoyles comic. Hmm. SLG Publishing had Gargoyles for a while. They were they had a multi-year deal in 2008. I don't I couldn't find when that deal expires, but they were running Gargoyles bi-monthly. A lot of people seem to favor that because it followed the TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, another interesting one might be Tailspin. Yeah. Okay, that was highly popular. They could, they could go back to the Aladdin well. That they was could go, They could do that and that might be popular too. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling Rodrigo, hmm. just a feeling that Gargoyles is going to be a property hmm. that gets announced from Boom pretty soon. What do you think, Matthew? I want to see the Brave Little Toaster. They've, don't they have a... Well, they don't have a comic book based on that. That's... Uh, what about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? <laughs> really? Seriously? The that's what you want of, to see as a comic Hank book? Pym. Well, the, what? and you bring up the Hank Pym Marvel thing... That is the uh, that could be the only potential problem in in my speculation that we'll see gargoyles go to boom mm-hmm. because before didn't Marvel publish a gargoyles comic book? I don't know if they actually published a gargoyles comic, but maybe it's officially. Not. Oh, okay. I know that gargoyle like characters I think guest starred in Marvel books that the guy who wrote gargoyles was writing. Ah, okay. All right. Um I know that there was some alternate dimension gargoylery going around. Okay. I'm going to bet gargoyles. Let's just hang on to our hats and see what happens in the next that, year. That that would be kind of awesome. Although Tailspin I think would also be pretty cool. Uh but uh I'm going to put my money on gargoyles coming up. I I would definitely prefer to see gargoyles over over Tailspin. Tailspin was always very strange for me. It was a, you know, oh, kind of a Indiana Jones kind of thing. Yeah, with the characters from the Jungle or, Book. Actually, yeah, it was more of a uh, it was Tales, like of, the Tales of the Gold Monkey with a yeah. literal monkey. Yeah. Right. And I love that TV show. Uh so who knows, maybe one well, of those. Of course old. you did. It was a complete knockoff of Indiana Jones. <laughs> 
All right, uh, listeners. Um, so many more reviews over at Major Spoilers. We do want you to uh, check those out. Majorspoilers.com. An interesting poll of the week this week, Matthew. It's time. I'm I'm actually kind of entertained by this one because I remember the time that Jack and Roz Kirby sat naked in a bed and sang Give Peace a Chance for <laughs> like three weeks to try and All stop. All we are uh, asking. Give <laughs> Peace a Chance. And you, you remember when Stan Lee walked through the uh Excelsior kids with the tampon on his head, right? Yeah, I remember that. That was really I awesome. am the Walworth. I also Excelsior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Hey, this week's dude <laughs> Don't bring me <laughs> Meanwhile, Lennon and McCartney were writing a book called <laughs> Uncle Albert. Uh, uh, this week's major spoilers quote of the week comes from Dr. Peter Coogan of the Institute for Comic Studies. He stopped by stately spoilers manner, the real version, not the cartoon version, which may or may not have blowed up, oh, no, and dropped terrible. off this week's poll of the week, pitting the tag team of John Lennon and Paul McCartney known as the Beatles, against Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, known as Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. <laughs> so, they're both around in the 60s. Right. They both pretty much redefined the pop culture. They, they redefined their, their particular genre, their particular thingama. Right. And honestly, it, you have to say that they worked better together then solo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because Lee and Kirby together gave us the Silver Surfer. Lee and Kirby apart gave us um, the Black Racer and uh, Funky Flashman, I think. Um, <laughs> but you have to ask yourself, and Dr. Hoogan wants to know, which team do you feel is more better, <laughs> more influential? Yes, I'm, than and I'm sure that's exactly how Dr. <laughs> Peter Coogan put it. Which one of these is yes, more better? Yes, and he said it. More better. And who, who actually raised their art higher relative to where it started vis-a-vis the comparison with others wadi-do-da steven go well you know this was a very interesting when he sent this to me the the past week i was like well you know on the one hand you're talking music and comic books and and you may not think that they mix but that's not the question he's asking Mm -hmm. he's asking inside Mm -hmm. that medium which had the bigger influence and i had to sit back and think i mean the beatles just came to itunes a couple of weeks ago it was the what the 30th anniversary of john lennon's death recently uh, Paul McCartney is still touring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did they have a super huge impact in the world of music? Well, on the one hand, yes, they did. Yes, yes, they did. On the other hand, also, yes. On the other hand, I think they got in the door at just the right time. Mm-hmm. Because had had the Beatles said, ah, we're not going to go uh, – send our album stateside, we'll just keep it over here in merry old England, mm-hmm. you would have had the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, and the other English invasion right. of music come over to America and kind of redefine mm-hmm. how we in America were interpreting and listening to rock and roll. Um, because in, before then, it was 
pretty bland rock and roll. Not really bland, because I like well, a lot uh, of music really, from the 50s. You, you had the big distinction of right. white rock and roll and black right. rock and right. roll. And what a lot of what the Beatles did was, was mix that. It. Yeah. And the only other person that was kind of doing that at the time was Elvis, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he was still very, you know, let's keep it above the waist kind of thing. As, as uh, Well, people kept trying to make <laughs> him do that. Yeah. So... On the one hand, I, I do think that the Beatles, and don't get me wrong, I think they were heavily you know, famous. I mean, they, they did huge things. I mean, there's a reason why we have two top-selling albums called Past Masters Volume 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. But we also have the Rolling Stones, uh, Hot Rocks, 1967 through 71 or whatever it was, that's mm-hmm. almost as large as those two combined. The Beatles seem to have staring, staying power, though the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, the uh, um, later uh, Led Zeppelin... Um, all had big influence on American sure. rock. The Beatles gave, open that door. Mm-hmm. And I think they elevated everybody else from that. Um, but on the other hand, what was going on in comics around the same time was pretty much bland stuff. Mm-hmm. We were still kind of recovering from um, the Tencent Plague. Right. No horror, no werewolves, no sex, no violence. Keep it clean, keep it funny, keep it ha-ha. And you come in with the team of Kirby and, and Lee who really decided to do some things and offer a, a unique, unique look, unique storytelling, something that hadn't been done before. And over that time period, bucking trends and doing things a little bit differently because they thought that that is how things should be done. Mm-hmm. And, like the Beatles, I think Kirby and Lee opened that door for others to follow and thus raise the level and the quality of that. To be honest, if we look at just the two medium, I went with Kirby and Lee. Not because this is a comic book podcast, Mm -hmm. but because if you take a sample size and you look at the influence they had on that sample size, they had a greater influence on the sample than, say, the Beatles did... On all of music. Right. Considering that, you know, right behind the Beatles were all these other people who were doing pretty much the same thing. Uh, at the same time. At the same really. time. They I just, mean, they Beatles, had to have started. Beatles just got there first, mm-hmm. right? And people can argue that, and I'm sure people will. Sure. So I went with uh, Lee and Kirby just because of the, of the size of their medium, comic books at that time, even though they were still selling millions, but how they radically changed how comic books were produced stories told and art directions and styles changed Mm -hmm. that's a that's a long drawn out answer rodrigo uh uh, honestly my my thought process is is very similar this is this is kind of a fantastic question yeah it is um because they are incredibly similar not just because just like we are still you know people are still doing covers of Beatles songs of Beatles songs people, people are, are still people are still doing Kirby covers <laughs> of Kirby Yard and Stan Lee's stories i mean they are some people yeah. are just writing the same freaking story right. starring Spider-Man not even with a new guy um, and just that same way so many people have been influenced and are writing completely different stories but stories that would have never come up if if stanley wasn't like you know what's great nuclear power let's do less magic and more nuclear power right kind of things um and again you know you look at stuff like more sci-fi stuff more nuclear stuff more space stuff Mm -hmm. and you look at stuff and you look at the beatles with more kind of southern 
American styles and you know cleaner guitar stuff and all these others. You know, it was it's the same thing. The Beatles are probably as big as they are because they were able to synthesize all those things and mm-hmm. turn it into something mm-hmm. new. Likewise, Stan and Jack did kind of the same thing with comics. This is a very difficult um, choice for me because they are so there are such parallels between right. them i well, would say i mean we have people in the forums that are like or in the uh, comment sections going i can't comment on this because it's comparing apples and oranges and in the case of the beatles i'm sure apple was the, right right ha right. ha um and you're right they're two different things but are they but that no, different when, when we're talking when, about when you look at you know the era and when you look at specifically in their in their media they are in fact very similar comparisons and honestly I think I'm probably going to go with the Beatles in this one mm-hmm. because I think that... Because more people know the Beatles today? It's sort of because music is, in fact, more universal than comics. And I'll bet you that more comic book artists have been influenced by the Beatles mm, yeah. than musicians have been influenced by Stan and Jack. Now, I'm sure that plenty have. right. right. And, but, it, and there is an interesting thread over in the Major Spoilers Forum about the number of comic book references in music. In, in music, and right. you guys should definitely go check that out because there's more added every day because there is a lot of stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and, you know, this kind of breaks the argument of keeping them separated, but I think in the end, when you look at overall impact on pop culture, the Beatles probably are more influential to the point where they start leaking into other forms of art right, right. much more than uh, comics did. And, you know, that's also arguable, but I am going to go with the Beatles on this one. Okay. One and one, Matthew, it's down to you. The tiebreaker. Well, I have to look at it from the historical context as well. Probably in the late 1950s, I would say that both the rockabilly music that became rock and roll and the funny books that eventually evolved into the comics that we know today were both considered kid stuff. Right. They were things that the the young people were into and that nobody, you know, no respectable person would be listening to this Chuck Berry person. <laughs> and they certainly won't be reading anything by the Atomic Knights. <clears throat> but when the big changes came around, you know, and the British invasion was part of it, and there was a lot more going on than just the Beatles, but I feel like the Beatles really helped, really spearheaded rock and roll breaking culturally wide to where it was no longer considered kid stuff. It was no longer, you know, uh, completely the domain of those who were children. Right. So that British, that British rock and roll, I think, really changed music and specifically pop music in ways that you still hear today. Mm-hmm. Whereas comics, for the longest time, I feel like even now there's sort of a stigma of, oh, you read comics. Well, I, I don't read comics. Oh, Iron Man, I love that movie. I feel like there's still a little bit of that double standard involved. So watching that, you know, that evolution from the teen culture into rock and roll being, you know, a huge moneymaker for people of all ages whereas comics didn't really do that. I lean towards the Beatles based on that and also based on a lot of the things that people are saying, yes, well, they did this and they did this, aren't Stan and Jack. Somebody referenced, I think Rodrigo referenced, but previously there was a reference to Spider-Man. 
Lee and Kirby true. didn't that's do Spider Man together. Right, that, that was Lee and Ditko. 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 Mm-hmm. That was Ditko. And you know, that there was a I believe somebody somewhere mentioned Darkseid. Well that was that was Jack, was by, Jack himself by himself after he right. left Marvel. Right. Right. And you know, the Silver Surfer was a Jack and Stan joint, but it really didn't, you know, he, he really wasn't a character the character that we know now until it was Stan and John Buscema. So I feel like there's a lo- you know there's a lot less point counterpoint than you think. It's sexy apples and angry orange rock men, really. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just so wondering. Though, I went I for guess... Lennon and McCartney simply because of what happened to music after them, sure. As opposed to what's still starting to happen in comics. Well, I, I'm just curious though. <clears throat> as I said, what if the Beatles decided, man, let's not try to go over to America and see what happens, and waited six months, right? And the Stones had got there first. Would the Stones be bigger than Jesus? No. No, they wouldn't. Why not? So you're saying even if the the Beatles came after the Stones to America, Mm -hmm. then the Beatles would still be more popular because they were the clean-cut Part of the reason, yeah, part of the reason that the Beatles did what they did was because they were marketed as those clean-cut kids. They had the whole, you know, the, the Brian Epstein control. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the Rolling Stones have always been fronted by the you know the wild man the sex god whatever the whole thing is with you know Mick Jagger is you know he'll sleep with anything kind of thing and I don't feel like the Rolling Stones would have had the mass appeal that the Beatles did and many of the other acts that might have had that mass appeal like say the Animals or the Kinks didn't mm-hmm. necessarily have the chops that Lennon and McCartney had together I mean if you actually if you go back and you look at things like you know the development of the song that became Yesterday, mm-hmm. Paul was writing it and he wanted to call it Scrambled Eggs. And I'm like, okay, well, that would have sucked. But yep. together they came up with this song that is played at every single wedding everywhere now by contractual obligation. Uh, I feel like the Beatles did what the Beatles did and only the Beatles could do that. And only Nixon could go to China. So I've, if the Beatles had waited, it would have been an entirely different animal. But I still feel like they might have had that same catastrophic effect, that cataclysm, cataclysm effect. Cataclysm. <laughs> yeah, later down the line. All right, so two for Lennon and McCartney, one for yep. Kirby and Lee. How did the rest of yep. the major spoilers nation play out? As of this point in time, 184 votes. I'm going to refresh oh, that refresh because I that. think that may be old. Yes. Because, uh, again, sometimes I get in the middle of the show and I start talking and it's 20 minutes later. 259 votes. <laughs> 64% of the faithful spoilerites leaning towards uh, Jack the King and Stan the Man. Only 36% saying uh, Jolly John and uh, Perky Paul. Um, now, there's also something else that you have to remember is that Stanley died in 68 uh, Jack, and he uh, was actually replaced by a look by a lookalike by a man. <laughs> and if you read if you read Fantastic Four number fifty backwards, it clearly says Stan is dead. Stan is dead. Yep. Stan is dead. Oh, and if, of course, if you look at the other way, it says "Turn me on, Dead Galactus." So. <laughs> yeah, because they can't, it can't be "Turn me on, Dead Man" because that belongs to a different company. <laughs> exactly. See, see, he's with me here. You know, I and I'm Neil just really surprised. I don't know. I mean, I, I like reading everyone's comments, but I'm just really surprised that so many people were like, well, you can't compare the two. Maybe I would like people it to is kind of think about our discussion here mm-hmm. and 
it is difficult. Maybe do some research, do some deep thinking, some deep thoughts. Really, after after Matthew's point, I think that Stan and Jack are more like the temple of the dog right. of comics than right. necessarily the Beatles of comics. Yeah. It's like when they went yeah. their separate ways, they actually maybe did. Like they did some great things together, but they also continued to be successful as they went. Yeah. Right. Just in that like Seattle Sandgarden vein, they're Georgia. they're like they're Green River. Mm-hmm. They went off and they broke off, and the people they worked with broke off and made new bands, and they all worked together and they bumped together, and it made this whole thing, you know. And of course, one guy killed himself with heroin. But I don't know. I know. Uh, actually, I do know this. I'm right. Thank you, director. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might very well be Matthew. You might very well. That's be. also my Stephen impersonation. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> All right, you really do you need to head work over to Major say, Spoilers. I'm Matthew, and I'm always right. Hey, kids, I'm Matthew. Stick around. We're going to come back and talk about Bean World right after this. Hi there, Major Spoilers. Uh, it's Josh Chalevin here. I'm just a listener from BC, Canada, and uh, had a comment to make on a uh, little thing that you guys were talking about in one of the shows not too long ago. You're mentioning um, animated, inanimate objects such as cars and vegetables, and um, that's the thing you didn't go into anything about the the wonderful um, Jesus-loving vegetables. And uh, I don't know how much you guys like to talk about religion, so maybe you won't put this on your show. But I was just thinking, um, since you had such an elaborate description for how the uh, cars absorb the spirits of the dead in a post-apocalyptic world, um, maybe that something similar could have happened to the vegetables for VeggieTales. Just wondering if you dare to think and uh, speak any thoughts on this matter. I was thinking maybe it's something like along the lines of uh, how uh, the communion wafer turns into Jesus or something, but maybe that's too racy or I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh I'm a big fan of both shows, Critical Hit and Major Spoilers, and uh, continue to listen. Okay, bye for now. Hi there, Major Spoilers. This is Sam from Mexico again with a question. Um, You see, while I've not always been a comic person, what I've not always read comics, I've never stopped reading manga. Um, it is kind of a shame to me to call myself an otaku, but I am. Um, so I've always been reading manga such as Fairy Tale and, and Naruto and Bleach and a couple others in a regular basis. So I guess that my my question here for you guys is. How come that you guys don't do more manga reviews and more manga talk? Um, I really haven't seen you guys done any of that since pretty much gone. And uh, before that, the only other one that I can think of was uh, Lone Wolf and Pub. So, you know, what gives with that? I would love to see you guys do some more manga review and then uh, just talk about what you guys think about the series such as uh, The Gray Man and many other great series. Anyways, um, thanks a bunch. Bye. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone, for calling into the Major Spoilers Hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939. If you speak Spanish, it's 785-727. Nova Ciento Clarkin Flavidner Nuf Nuf de Flurman. So Sam from Mexico had a a good question. Uh, Why don't we discuss and review manga on the site and the podcast more? (laughs) <laughs> this is going to sound really old. I will t- ever tell everyone this. We had a slight crash about 10 minutes into this discussion. So here we go with a yeah. rehash. Rodrigo, go. We hate it. The end. No, um, we don't. Um, we don't review more uh, manga on the site. And, and, and this I'll extend to anime. Um, I think primarily because um you know Matthew and Steven do more much a lot more reviews on the side than I do but probably as far as interest I'm a lot more interested in manga than they are so um we just you just kind of end up with uh you know I, I, since I produce a lot less review volume like the things that I end up reviewing aren't always um are actually generally non manga, especially since I'm also at this point the only gaming right, writer right, on the site. Right, right. Um, you know, I kind of agree with Rodrigo. You know, we just when you think about the huge scope of comics that we get in, and we have all the American publishers, even the small ones who are mm-hmm. contacting us. I mean, this week I delivered 30 plus comics to our reviewers saying, Here are review copies, mm-hmm. please review them if you get a chance. And we still only get a fraction of those covered. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we got 30 comics just from the independents and we've got our own regular biases towards Marvel and DC and whatever other comics, the image comics that, that we're reviewing, it makes it rather hard to get through all that. It is intimidating, too, to go down that aisle at the uh, bookstore and see 27 volumes mm-hmm. of Fruits whatever. Basket. Yeah, Fruits Basket. Stuff I'm not even know what it's about. Mm. What was that one you were saying earlier, Matt, uh, Rodrigo, that I should check out? Um, uh, Battle Vixens. Battle Vixens. I Battle actually Vixens. do think I have a copy or two of that around. Nice. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we could review and we could talk about. There's uh, one series that I've been collecting and, then, and that I enjoy because uh, I, I saw the movie. Um, the movie when it was, I guess it was sent to him. In air quotes, uh, sent to America, Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. That is a bloody, violent, sex-filled book, and I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of outdated, which I think a lot of our manga reading kind of would be. Well, definitely. Um, Matthew, your thoughts? Well, and the the point that I think has to be made is just the question of access, but also a question of accessibility in that... For all intents and purposes, my comic reading is shaped by the 1970s. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, for you say manga, I'm like, oh, Speed Racer Aha. or Astro Boy. But Gigantor. You, yeah, yeah, you, for all intents and purposes, are a child, a comic book child of the 80s into the 90s when right. they really started showing up. But Rodrigo started reading comics in the 90s where every third book was manga. and, 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 and. So... I think that Rodrigo's point really holds a lot of water. It's not that I don't like manga. I don't necessarily, it doesn't speak to me immediately. And something that I have to say is from the store, especially is a lot of the trade dress on the American translations of the manga is just, but ugly. (laughs) And I go down and I see, I see rows and rows and rows of these really hideous things. And I feel like they're almost trying to evoke, you know, 
a Japanese package, the way they yeah. think a Japanese package should look. Mm-hmm. And it's the, to me, it's the equivalent of seeing a sign in English where, you know, they translate it and it says server error not found. Or just like somebody trying to do I Art Deco that, really hard, you know, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Do you guys have a big, just, do you guys have a big so much section at the about. store? I wouldn't say big, but it's respectable. Okay. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we have nine six-foot shelves mm-hmm. um, stacked, and one entire shelf is dedicated to manga and import. <clears throat> um, another thing is, you know, we, like, Major Spoilers is always growing. Right. So, you know, before we didn't have much in games, then I started writing for the site, now we have a lot more. We're, we have other writers coming in now that yeah, I think are going to be... Like- Mike and uh, George. George, and we've got a new guy, Jason, and Scott's mm-hmm. been around for a while. We've got two new ones, Rob Jack. and um, Jack Trigger, uh, um, Coulter. Rob and Coulter, right. joining us in January. Right, and the, and those guys are big into video games, so mm-hmm. expect to see more uh, video game content on Major Spoilers. Mm-hmm. At, but we don't have somebody who is constantly reading anime, mm-hmm. or uh, right. watching anime, reading manga. Right. Um so I don't know. Do you want? Do you spoilerite want the job? <laughs> can you actually write? Okay, send us a writing sample. You can contact Steven and send him a writing sample. Yeah. And honestly, because we have that vacancy, you're a lot more likely to get in for writing for major spoilers. That if you're like, yeah, well, I'm following Green Lantern and that's all I'm reading, so that's all I can review. Yeah. That's a lot less likely. Right. And granted, we don't pay anything. No. But even though we don't pay anything, I do kind of run things, you know, as, as an editor would run mm-hmm. a site working for, for major companies like NBC and working under editors from there, have picked up some things. Um, and Pick up that editing, name you dropped right there. Editing so other, other sites as well. You know, look Haven't at all three of us worked for NBC at some uh, point. Yeah, Matthew has. Yeah, uh, I have. You have, I have. We've yeah. all worked for NBC. Um, and oddly enough, they don't sponsor any of our no, no. shows. That's why we used to work for NBC. <laughs> and that's why we used to talk about NBC yeah. on the show. No, um, look at some of the writing uh, reviews. You know, that's, I, I don't want to say mirror, but as far as structure and format goes, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's always a teaser paragraph. There's always a previously in. There's always a section on this is what happened. Commentary on that. Art right. commentary on that. Bottom line and ratings. I mean, you can follow that format and put it in your own words. Mm-hmm. Um but really what I'm looking for are people that have a voice, people who can write well, people who can be consistent. That's the that's the biggest thing. Oh, yeah. Is we need people who can be consistent, not, oh, well, I'm going to write this week and then not deliver something, or I'm only going to be able to write once a month or maybe every other month or when I get around to it. That's That kind of becomes iffy because you get lost in my in my email system. Yeah. Not so to it, mention that, you know, we are starting to get more regular writers. Mm-hmm. So if you only write once a month, you might show up to the party late for the title you want to review because somebody yeah. may have, <clears throat> somebody who's actually in the site reviewing things may pick up previews and call it way in advance. And I'm not even just talking about manga. I'm talking about anybody right, who wants anything. to review whatever. I mean, we don't have a huge movie review section. We don't have a lot of, a lot of things. So send an email to Schleicher at Majorspoilers.com. You can find my link fairly easily. We're at a downtime in the semester now where I've got a few weeks to look over things. Um, Matthew, thoughts on manga or the site or whatever? I think that the main thing, excuse me, the main thing that I really need for manga would be an accessible reason, some reason why I want to read it. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the anime that I have seen, 
has been hentai. Mm. And that just has to do with the people I hang out with. And, you know, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen some major, what is it? Uh, Sailor Moon. And it's not as Dragon though Ballsy. I hate any of them. You will also note that a lot of times during the podcast, if I have something to say about a subject, I'll be going, yes, in 1954, uh, the man who wrote that was drunk. But I, if I don't know anything about it, I will sit back and I'll let Rodrigo talk about Maggot and Stephen talk about you know World of Warcraft. And I'll try not to interrupt them, except if it's really, really funny. So obviously, you know, something that I don't feel like I have a really good basis in talking about probably not going to talk about. I can tell you that the Beastie Boys are the best rap band of all time, and there are going to be people who know rap better than me that tell me I'm full of crap. So, yeah. Well, and that's and that's a problem with a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things we could be reviewing. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I said we got 30 copies, 30 comics in this week from independents. That's not right. including the stuff from Marvel and DC that we're going to review or the other stuff from the independents who didn't send us stuff that we're going to review. Viper Comics has stopped sending us stuff uh, recently because of of whatever reason, not because they hate us. Cutbacks. No, well, could be cutbacks, could also be because... Because they hate Steve. No, in fact, um, <laughs> I forget what his name is now, sent me an email just a little while ago. That's why he hates ago, you. And was like, oh, hey, can you guys start reviewing our stuff? And I'm like, sure, send it along, and we'll huh? put it in the pile of, of potential review. We just can't get through the masses amounts of stuff. Right. I mean, I've got piles and piles of stuff in the Nerd Room of Doom that Matthew's head would explode if you saw it, if he saw it. I need an intern just to... It's disorganized. It is so... I mean, I've got pile... I've got easily three years worth of comics piled up around the room. Not to mention uh, the action figures. Don't, don't, not to mention don't, the other stuff. Stop talking. Needs to be bagged. That's I just worse need an than intern the to clean up to clean up that room. Heck, I need an intern to clean up this room, Rodrigo. Yeah, man. cracking on that. I need day. an intern to do table dances and bring me drinks. <laughs> well, hey, we've we'll, got get, a, we'll get Jeff on that. Yes. <laughs> So if you think you can handle it, uh, certainly drop me an email or whatever. If you've got an area of expertise that you really are an expert in, mm-hmm. um, even if it is just a DC Marvel person, we can always use more of those. There's, yep. you know, hundreds of hundreds upon hundreds of DC and Marvel books that they yeah. crank out each month. Marvel put out 54 X titles last Wednesday. so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> And 37 of them had Wolverine on the cover. So. Yep. Let's talk That's about right. uh, Bean World. At this point in our recording previously, the system shut down. I, I forget when this was. Was this 2009? When we did what? When we did the, um, oh, when the Julian Ju- challenge. When, when Julian succeeded with flying colors yes, and he, became the number one spoiler. I think that was 2008. I think that was 2008. No, it had to have been 2009. This was a year ago. A uh, year and a half ago. So, uh, I think it was 2000. Well, he'll contact us and correct us. But we sent Julian out to the San Diego Comic-Con with a major spoilers poster. And he was tasked with um, getting as many signatures as he possibly could from famous people. And we've got Jeff Smith on there. We've got Dave Garcia. I don't think we have a, a Stan Lee, but we certainly have an Adam West, I believe, on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of great Adam West. One of the ones that uh, at the time I was like, I have no idea who this is. In the corner, Larry Martyr. Mm-hmm. And he drew a little yeah. picture. I mean, Jeff Smith drew Bone on there. The guy that was doing uh, the Muppets uh, comic book for Boom drew Kermit. Uh, Dave Garcia drew the tick. And then down in the corner is this little jumping bean. I was like, what the heck is this? Dave Martyr. I know the name's familiar. I've heard of these beans somewhere before. And then Matthew started going off of, well, it was about a couple of months ago when uh, Dark Horse released the first volume of Bean World. Oh, we got to review Bean World. We got to review Bean World. Let's mm-hmm. talk the about The latest Bean World. volume, actually. Yeah, the latest volume. Yeah. 
Um, so let's talk about Bean World Volume One, Tales of the Bean World, by Larry Martin. Tales. Matthew, I'm going to let you just kind of run this uh, bit. Fill us in a little bit on what uh, Bean World is, what it's about. Give us a rundown. This is the first nine issues is in this first volume. Yes. I believe. There were 21 initial issues. Um, Basically, in 1985, Larry Martyr, who apparently had always kind of been an artist and done arty stuff, decided he was going to make a comic book featuring these characters that he'd been doodling with and playing with for years. And... The comic book basically, on the very first issue, I, I read the original issues, <laughs> it says a very peculiar comic book experience. And you will never see a cover blurb that is more accurate and more brilliantly dead on than that. Basically, Tales of the Bean World is exactly what it says. The Bean World is a world somewhere in a universe that is populated entirely by beans and one other creature and they're the main focus of the book really in the early months is explaining the cycle and the way their lives and their their world works and the ecology of the bean world is explained but basically these beans and their hero mr spook live on an island in the middle of an ocean and occasionally they have to jump down through the ocean through the five realities into a realm where they fight these Four realities, forgive me, where they fight these creatures known as the Hoi Polloi. Hoi Polloi only have one arm, and there's only ever been one that wasn't right-handed, and I don't know why, but someone says it's important. And they fight the Hoi Polloi for chow, which the Hoi Polloi uses currency. The beans actually use as nutrients. And in return, they leave behind a sprout butt from the tree that grows in the middle of their island, which the Hoi Polloi then turn into more chow. So it's basically a self-fulfilling cycle. Right. And the the lives of these beans are truly I mean it it's it's a microcosm. It's one of those stories where you can tell any story you want in the simplest of terms because you have archetypical characters. You have mm-hmm. the hero, Mr. You Spook. have the scientist, right? Oh, spooky, the scientist, spooky? Professor Garbanzo. No, Professor Garbanzo. Profi. Profi, okay. Professor Garbanzo, they call her Profi. You have uh, the musicians. There's actually three musicians, the Boomer Band. You have an artist, Beanish. Beanish you yeah. have other characters who are basically literally spear carriers. Mm-hmm. But there are little subdivisions, and it's it's fascinating to watch this. For instance, Profi is referred to as she. Right. There is no visible difference to me that makes you think that Profi is a she as opposed to Beanish as a he yeah. and the Boomer Band as he. It's almost like... But uh, everybody follows the rules. It's almost like we're looking at an interpretation of the Smurfs where you've got all these, what we presume are male Smurfs mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. Smurfette. Well, I think it's entirely... And, and, are, and this is addressed... Well, this is addressed when Beanish breaks out. Yeah. That... Uh, you know, and and it implies that at some point all beans were exactly the same, mm-hmm. and then something happens, and one bean becomes different. Mm-hmm. And I think the implication of gender might or might not be part of this breaking Being out. I think the all the spear carrying and chow catching beans are all neutral; they mm-hmm. they don't have a gender. Right. But Mr. Spook, but there Profi, are and the Boomer Band and Beanish. 
Do yeah. uh, is there? Are there? I just one of the spear flingers is referred to as she, mm. but then that particular spear flinger, not in this volume, but she actually does have a breakout later in the series. Right. So Here, they actually, my, it's it's weird. In in the first couple of issues where we're just kind of explaining the ecology, we're explaining this world. I got to tell you, mm-hmm. it's interesting if you are into science a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, my feeling was, wow. If this is how the whole series goes, I can't imagine anybody buying this book in 1985. Hmm. Because in my mind, it was very it was boring. Deal. It wasn't until we get the introduction of the uh, the butt spewing bug uh, that in, you know <laughs> that uh, uh, yeah. sends out these little items, and when Beanish breaks out and goes through his ev- evolution, that you start to see that this world. You could look at it, and I'm sure I, I, I'm, I would imagine that sociologists and psychologists might use a book like this, an anthropologist might use a book like this to show how culture and society changes and, more importantly, involve, evolves, mm-hmm. where the book starts out with uh, Mr. Spook as the head, the leader, the tribal leader, which kind of bases everything on religion because he uh, prays to the uh, the grandma, grandma pa tree, tree. Grandma pa, yeah. Uh, and that there is a structured order of how things go. If we don't get a butt bean, we don't go for chow, it's your day off, it's goof-off day. Right. Profi is kind of their, who is kind of their wizard, their druid character. And then they have these musicians that evolved after Profi. And so we see music come into society, and we see how music affects society. And then we have Beanish, who introduces art to society and takes these items that the druid can't figure out and creates something that requires people to use their imagination and evolve creatively to the point where at one point you have Mr. Spook trying to burn it because it's all evil. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, follow my ways, follow these old ways. Don't follow these new ways because it's disruptive to society um, and we mm-hmm. see that. And, and then so in that sense, once you kind of get that idea that you're looking at evolution and we're looking at commentary on uh, society and we're looking at, at commentary maybe on uh, anthropology, mm-hmm. then it becomes a little bit yeah. more fascinating in my mind. Yeah. And in, in the early issues, we don't see what happened to make Profi break out. But it's fascinating right. to me that you know, it makes sense that Profi's science, Profi's observation came first. Mm-hmm. And once they had that observation, then Beanish was able to bring into it interpretation. So first there was science, and then the boomers showed up with their musical expression, you know, that simplest expression of, of noise and making, you know, a sound and banging your foot. And then Beanish shows up with the art. But issue two, I think, is the point where it really and just completely engrossed me because issue two starts with them getting too much food, too much chow. Yeah. And then it, it, we go through half the issue explaining how this is bad for the beans. And then it causes the strange thing to happen, you know, that the insects come up and they eat all of the excess chow and they leave they're behind stinkle. their eggs or eggs. <laughs> the stinkle, is that what they're, they're called? Stinkle. stinkle. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I read these books. These are bedtime stories for my kid. And she loves Der Stinkel and the Queen because the crunchies are in the sky. 
Oh, the crunchies, yeah. She doesn't know that that is a bad fake German accent. She right. knows that's how the bugs talk. Mm-hmm. So she heard somebody talking with a real German accent and wanted to know why he talked like the bugs. But nice. Um, for me, the most fascinating parts of the bean world are the things that they don't tell you. Because there's no explanation of why these beans sleep under this tree. Mm-hmm. But it is. And they, you know, they talk about it. Grandma Pa is there and Grandma Pa controls their life. Either it's, it's a goof off day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there, you know, we don't need to go too far into it. And the episode where they're explaining where did Mr. Spook's fork come from? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, some backstory. No, this mysterious fish falls out of the sky with a fork in his face. <laughs> Yeah. And Mr. Spook saves him. You know, that's 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 not even an explanation. That's just like something that happened, but it makes perfect sense. Or when Beanish- And by the way, the big fish in the sky talks with the torque voice. Oh, okay. Or so, you know, even you Beanish can, figuring uh, out a We love eight worms. Teleport what we can imagine is a teleportation system to the top of a mountain where he can converse with the sun and fall in love with the sun. Mm-hmm. Is also, mm-hmm. it's not explained. You just accept it and you just kind of move on. It is a little frustrating, it, though, because again, 1985, we do see a lot of really independent books coming out. Um, yeah. But for this to be released on a monthly or bi monthly basis or whenever this was released, I can't remember if it said monthly or bi monthly. It, it, was, re- it was released on a whenever Larry finished it basis because the first I, three issues would came drive out in 85. me up the wall to try to read this in a monthly format. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, I just would, I I'd be like, I would read the first issue and go, okay, well, that's probably the last time I read it. And then maybe four or five issues later, if I saw it again, two years later or three years later. Oh, yeah, I think I remember this. Now it's being published under Eclipse. Well, Eclipse has got some interesting things coming out. Let me pick it up. Oh, well, this is quite different. Then I could see it becoming interesting. And I haven't read anything past the first volume that we have Mm -hmm. here. Right. But uh, I can see it becoming a little bit more interesting. But those first ones just drag. I mean, in my mind, The first issue especially is slow. It it really is the breakout for Beanish that brings the series to what it is because Mm – you kind of need that that triad. You need Mr. Spook saying, no, we'll do it the old way. And you need Profi going, oh, I don't know what these things are. And then you need Beanish as that third person to say, I don't know what they are either, but here's what I'm going to do with them with this new thing. Those three characters really form the nucleus around which the whole story goes. And without until Beanish is there, without that counterpoint, it's really a back and forth between science, you know, that theory of what can I find out? And Mr. Spook as tradition, Mm -hmm. no, we don't care what we can find out. We know the way it's done. So, you know, it really becomes interesting at that point. Even even with the boomer band in play, they're more passive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the boomer band definitely doesn't like the boomer band are kind of like this weird uh, actually the boomer band are kind of a plot device. They introduce a lot of (laughs) concepts. Sometimes they're they're helpful. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they're harmful, but they don't actually drive the plot. Yeah. Well, except they, for in, except for, for in the too much of this is a bad thing, and but no, who, but you're right. You're they're not Mr. Spook's idea that the little white and birds are, they're not are evil. they're not even the ones who discover 
the noises they right, make. I think right. it's Beanish and Profi yeah. that discover that they make noise, yeah. and then the Boomer Band runs away with it. Yeah. Which, by the way, Boom the Clang Twang is a fantastic name. <laughs> yeah, it there is. was a old Mr. Disney... Spook actually gets mad and slams them together, and that's what creates yeah, the Clang go. Twang. Is that what it's called, the Boomer Clang? But, well, booming is the boomer, playing a the song, boomer band. right? So when you when they play that song, it's called they're gonna boom the clang twang. Yeah, yeah that is pretty cool. There was an, yeah. an old Disney cartoon that was trying to teach kids the history of music or mm-hmm. theories of music, and it was called Plunk, Boom Plunk, Whistle Tweet or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's all the the basic sounds that you know a stringed instrument, a uh, percussion, percussion mm-hmm. brass and woodwind in, instrument would make. And it's kind of it kind of mm-hmm, reminds mm-hmm. me of of that. Um, that's what about cool. the art? I the, love the art. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's 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 uh, you know Bean World is a very basic world. Mm-hmm. It's like the most basic units of human interaction mm-hmm. and with people's interaction with nature mm-hmm. are there. And I think the art really enforces that by the fact that the beans are basically just circles with eyes and limbs coming out of them, right. except for the ones who break out who then get a funny hat. Yeah, like uh, Profi or Beanish, where mm-hmm. he takes these parts of the, um, what do they call them, the twinks? They are... Those are the, chips. Yeah, oh, the chips. chips. And he breaks them off and he yeah. creates this kind of like little main mm-hmm. thing like that goes down his, his back. headdress. Um, yeah. You know, I like the art, but again, the first time I saw it on the Major Spoilers poster, or maybe I saw it somewhere else before, because when somebody said Bean World, I was somewhat familiar with it when i was a kid i had this art book mm-hmm. and it said hey here's a great project for you and i mean i'm like seven or something like that mm-hmm. you know get an ink pad which back then you could still get ink pads at stores relatively easily mm-hmm. stick your thumb on it put it on the paper and then make little bugs mm-hmm. and so when i look at that i'm like oh yep. i remember doing that as a kid making <clears throat> this whole environment of these little thumbprint beings critters. yeah these little critters that would yeah. have these little stories on that so mm-hmm. it kind of had that kind of a, a feeling to me. Yeah. And on the first, so on the first viewing, I want to dismiss this as a, well, you know, a child could do this, mm-hmm. but then you have to do some more closer inspection and look at, you know, almost you want, you want to look at the space between the lines. Oh, absolutely. Because there's a lot you going do. on and if you in between. At, yeah. Any picture of grandma pa mm-hmm. looks to me like old, what is it? The woodcuts, the ancient mm-hmm. woodcuts where they would do that. The Just the intricacies of Grandma Pa, comparatively to the simplicity of the beans, I think, you know, again, you refer to it as Gaia. I think that that's kind of the point. But the use of black and white here, obviously, was probably done for money purposes. Oh, yeah. Because it's cheaper. It's but independent. it makes the story so much better. And the characters are so ridiculously expressive even with no heads you know they're just eyes on a circle but if you look at what you know what happens with uh, mr spook mm-hmm. occasionally he'll have the really really detailed eyes just for a second to give you an expression mm-hmm. and then he goes back to his standard cartooniness but if you really watch especially profi who is probably the most static in terms of facial expression because of her hat and what I perceive as glasses. Mm-hmm. I, when you look at the, the way Profi looks, Profi doesn't change much from panel to panel, but what he does just with 
the eyes, the size, the shape of the pupils and the eyes with that character tells you everything you need to know. And she even has body language, even though her body is just an oval and sticks. Mm-hmm. There's a sequence where she's trying to figure out what to do with uh, the gunkle dunk, the glue, and she's begging, just begging the boomer band to help her by playing the, quang, the, the clang twang. And she's on her knees begging, and that sequence is just so awesome. Yeah. And it's literally three ovals and some sticks. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that to me is the real achievement here. If you, if you say Amit Art... Just the fact that he can get so much out of the simplest, the simplest pieces. I mean, the four realities basically are a circle, a line, a triangle, and a star. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the drawings, the majority of the art in this book literally takes place with those symbols, those, you know, those four really simple symbols. Right. I the think it's elements. just, it's astonishing right, what he can way. do. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, um, you know, I kind of give my interpretation of, you know, what, some of the issue is talking about. Mm-hmm. Is there a meaning? Is there a point mm-hmm. to all of this, Rodrigo? Um, I think this is this is a great great example of somebody making a very very basic work and then putting it out there, and you can just add as much or as little meaning as you want to it. I think that I personally yeah. think that be the Bean World is. A, a very basic and honestly very primal expression of human society. Um, the only thing that's weirdly out of place for me, and maybe this gets addressed later, is that everybody follows the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you have this... Well, because ver- that's what the tribal leader wants you to do. Well, yeah, yeah. but all the, all the beans follow Mr. Spook. Right. Regardless of what he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's the only thing that that is, and I'm sure that eventually it comes up, especially with with Beanish, since he kind of wants to do his own thing, right? Um, but you know, you get this where like everybody's the same, and then somebody finds that they're good at something, and not only do they find that they're good at something, but they're good at something that helps everyone else. So right. that's what they become. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. one of them becomes a smith, one of them becomes a Fletcher, one of them becomes this or that or the other thing. I mean, and you station. also see the evolution of a barter system, absolutely. Um, the, yeah. the, their when, relationship when with the Hoi Boy. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he says, you know, as part of your breakout, you kind of say, this is what I have to offer our society. What right. do you guys think? And everybody's like, yeah. Right. Um, their relationship with the Hoi Poloi is both a relationship of kind of like ancient peoples to the herds that they followed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you don't want to kill the whole herd. They don't actually want to kill the Hoi Polloi. When the Hoi Polloi become endangered yeah. because somebody else is killing them, the beans spring into action and save them right. because they're their livelihood. Yeah. Right. They need the Hoi Polloi. So it's kind of this very, very... It's this beautiful black and white um, representation of kind of this... I, I, I say idealized, uh, not to imply a value judgment, but to kind of sort of essentialized primal human yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. It is what a, a tri a, that perfect ne- th- that perfect tribal society that never existed, but that we kind of use as a basis to judge, you know, mm-hmm. our current society and stuff. That's what Bean World is. I, I'm seriously going to take this volume and give it to our sociology mm-hmm. and anthropology. Uh, instructor here on campus mm-hmm. 
and get his interpretation and see what he thinks yeah. and see if this is something that he could use in a course to further discussion about society and how members function in that society yeah. and just, you know, that, that feature. Matthew, is there a point to this? You've been reading this far longer than yes. Rodrigo and I have, and you've read beyond these nine issues that Rodrigo and I have. I have. I have read all of the available Bean World material. And in this case, I did not read them in their original issues <laughs> because my only interaction with Beanish in the, back in the day was his appearance in the Total Eclipse crossover alongside Aztec Ace and Miracle Man. And, you know, when you got Aztec Ace and Miracle Man, you're kind of like, oh, look, the Bean. But Beanish saves the day in that story. And that made me kind of wonder what the hell is going on. And uh, uh, really, what sold it for me was my kid fell in love with this series. She insisted that we buy some, and it just so happened to coincide with a stay in the hospital when I stayed and for four days basically had to have something to read to her. You know, we were reading these books. And so for me, the whole point of it is really a very simple society that you can literally put anything into it. This is This is a way to tell any story you want. It's kind of like Gene Roddenberry could use the Enterprise to tell a story that was a cowboy story or a night story or a story about, you know, prejudice in the late 1960s. The Bean World is this ongoing process, this world in which the archetypes are there. You can tell whatever story you want. And some of it is really, really unpleasant when you think about the fact that the queen, the queen came up from der Stinker. She ate all the food. She died. Mm-hmm. Now, later on in the issues, you see in the bottom of Profi's uh, fix-it shop, that queen's corpse, the body of that dead bug is still in the fix-it shop mm-hmm. because she's part of that process. So she died. She laid her eggs. The beans don't know what these things are. We know what eggs are. We know what eggs do. Yep, the beans but don't. it never comes it never comes up in this first volume. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, what's up with the beans? And when Beanish goes and talks to the sun, you know, it's it's almost as though Beanish is not just inventing art. Beanish is kind of inventing religion. Right. Because Beanish goes and talks to a creature in the sky that no one else can see. Right. This is really this is really, you know, like Rodrigo said, this is primal storytelling. But it's fascinating just to see how this reality fits together. Each issue gives you little bits and pieces. And then I think the the real killer in this first volume is the lightning storm. The lightning mm-hmm. storm right. where all the bees, all the beans freak out. The right. beans are hiding as far in the basement as they can. And they're all crying and they think it's over. And what is Mr. Spook doing? Hey, come Standing on in the middle of the field. Holding up a metal fork and dancing. He's communing with nature, with the beyond, with God, whatever you want to call it. Mr. Spook is having a moment where this is his, I mean, this is his moment. This is joyous to him. Yes, it's strange and he doesn't know what's going on, but he dances in this lightning storm all night. And when dawn comes, he's like, hey, that was really fun. Yep, it is. It is, in fact... Passion and ecstasy in the old school sense of the yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's why I just find this creepy. fascinating. As when you 
make that click that it's not just the ecology. Mm-hmm. It is evolution. Mm-hmm. Societal. Yeah. Of and societal when the hoi polloi when the hoi polloi yeah. starts singing to the sprout butt, all of that is is sex. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Every it's very sexual. Every and single explicit, bit of it is almost sex. explicitly so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Mister Spook makes the point. He's like, we we don't need to see this. This is not something that a bean needs to be privy to. You know. And by the way, Mister Spook is the Richard Talks Nixon like voice. Nixon. From That's Futurama. what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. The Futurama Nixon voice is Mister Spook, and Molly loves that particular voice. I don't know why, but throughout that whole sequence, and that comes up later in later volumes again. You know, the sex and death and concepts that you don't necessarily see in comic books show up in ways that are thought-provoking and a little embarrassing and a little disturbing, but also really, really amazing to read. And at, you know, at the end of this volume is the point where the complete game changer arrives. The last panel of this volume, if I'm not mistaken, oh, sure. is the with last the panel of issue. Of the new nine. beans. Mm-hmm. The new beans arrive. With the baby new bean beans. beans. Yeah. yeah. Baby beans. And only Mr. Spook knows. Do you know why Mr. Spook knows? Knows because what? he's the oldest bean. Uh, ah, but here's the thing. Mr. Spook is not a bean. <gasps> That's why because he doesn't look like any of the other beans. Well, sure, but he doesn't he, Actually, if you look at him real close, he looks more like a hoi polloi. I guess so. I don't know why he looks like a hoi polloi, but Mr. Spook, and, and Larry has come out and admitted this, which is why I mention it. Mr. Spook is not a bean. He's, he came from somewhere else mm. to act as the protector of the bean world. So Mr. Spook is, is kind of an alien in their midst, and you really don't get a feel for that until you realize, well, A, he's the only one with eyebrows. Yeah. But as you go through this, you know, it's really weird. And the second the second volume deals with the existence of the babies as much as anything. The third volume, I think, for me, is the strongest of the book. And I, I kind of wish that it's the same thing I had with Cerebus. I wish that we didn't start at the beginning, even though we mm-hmm. kind of have to. Yeah. Because if, if we if we started with three if we all had a grounding in Tales of the Bean World and started with that third volume where, you know, Larry is professional, he's polished, he knows how to tell a story, he knows what all the beans do, you know, I feel like that is probably the point where you, I, even Steven would be like, hey, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not discounting that the, that the book, this first volume isn't interesting. I'm just saying, it takes a couple issues before oh, yeah. things click, and if you bail yeah. in the first issue, here's the thing: you're though. just you're going to miss out. And I think that's what a lot of people probably did the first time is, yeah, eh. Except for all those other awesome indie comic it, right, book right, writers, because right, right. all the volumes yeah. have stuff from like these, you know, really influential people being like, "Oh man, I love Bean World!" Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> jerks. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom line, Rodrigo. Yeah. Um, I, this. I was really, really surprised. I mean, just just from the covers and stuff, I, I was like, "Oh, I bet this is a smart book." But I'm I'm surprised at how good it is. I'm surprised at how much meaning, how much thought. I, you know what? Reading this book, I felt safe, which is weird. I I haven't felt that way about a, a uh, 
a work of art in a long time because I'm always terrified that it's going to turn into shit. You know, that as, yeah, as I'm I reading, I start that. enjoying it and then it's going to take some turn for the sake of taking a turn mm-hmm. and it's going to become crap. And for some reason, from the very beginning, I did not feel that way with Bean World. I was like, I bet this guy has everything planned just from how thorough his tiny, weird world is. I bet that everything's accounted for. And I just kind of jumped in. Um, Bean World is a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, way to look at human society and what each of us can bring to society and where we all fit in. Um, issues of religion, issues of tradition, issues of innovation, technology, um, ecology, you know, what people do to the environment, what our lifestyle causes in, in other people. This is all just in the first three issues of yeah, Bean World. Environmental impact. All um, stuff, yeah. Not only that, but in, and this environmental impact actually changes. After the first issue, there is a brand new layer of stuff, which right. is just the skulls the of skulls. the whole poloi. Yeah. And they're there. They're there forever. Mm-hmm. And from then on, they are a part of the story. And the mm-hmm. characters use them as the story goes along. It is just uh, it kind of maybe blew my mind. I would very, very yeah. strongly recommend someone, you know, if you're listening to this and, sa- and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but when does somebody get punched through a wall? I think that might happen. But if, you know, if that's what might you're into. Punched through the fourth wall. Yeah, possibly. If, if, that's what you're, <laughs> if that's what you're after, this might not be the book for you. But if you want to read something that is a, like, an analysis of the human condition that a child could understand, I would definitely recommend Tales of the Bean World. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to say worth checking out. First of all, check it out at your library. Just don't plunk down the money and, and buy it. Mm-hmm. See if you can borrow it from somewhere first or check it out from the library or maybe a friend's got it or flip through it at the comic book store or whatever. I think after that, I think you'll become hooked. But I don't want to just say buy it sight unseen mm-hmm. based on our recommendations and, and semi-gushing. Um, I think it's a very good book. I think it takes some time to get into it. Mm-hmm. But still a thumbs up. Matthew? There are a lot of comic books that are really important to me because of when I read them. And most of those came in the formative years between about 11 and 20. And I freely admit that many of my favorite comic characters fell in that time period. And they're important to me not because they're necessarily important, you know, as though anything in comics is really important but because of what they meant to me and because of when and where this book fell. It's probably, well, it's certainly the first book that I was able to discover with my kid and really, you know, examine at the same time that she was examining it. But I think this is one of the first books that I was really an adult. I was past that college age that I immediately went, this is, this is going to stick. This is something that is now officially part of my zeitgeist and will remain so. And, you know, part of that I think has to do with the fact that this is something that I will always remember reading to my kid when she was sick. So, but it's also, you know, I had the example of reading through this and going, yes, I see. If you read carefully, obviously the bugs represent the underworld, the devil, Zybalba. And the bugs come up from beyond and they they destroy the ecology by changing everything. Ha ha, look how smart I am. 
And what Molly sees is, oh, no, scary bugs are coming to eat the beans. What will happen? Mm -hmm. So it's something that, you know, that six-year-old mind that I, I watch Mickey Mouse Playhouse, she got it. She understood it. It it made sense to her. It has meaning and resonance to her, a six-year-old. And it has meaning and resonance to me as an over-educated person who reads tons and tons and tons of comics and spends time on TV tropes going, yes, I knew that for I am wise and people should come have sex with me because of how wise I am. <laughs> I think that there aren't a lot of, in fact, I can't think of more than a handful of things right off the top of my head that I feel like I could connect with on that adult level and still have fun playing with the kid with. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I've, I've done all the voices in the show. The voices are intrinsic to the understanding, but those are our voices. Molly and I created those voices as part of, well, stole those voices from Billy West and other people, but mm -hmm. created what we thought people should talk like. And the reason that Profi talks like this is because I said, Molly, what do you think Profi should talk like? And Molly said, she should talk like this. And so she always will mm -hmm. for us. And I think that when something is so it, it's, it's advanced, it's sophisticated, and yet it's simple enough for the child to go, ha, ha, bugs. Yeah. That, you know, that's something special. I absolutely recommend this to anyone. And I would say go out and spend the $19, go on eBay, spend the 20 bucks to get all three of these volumes because you will not regret it. All right. There you go. And holy crap, look how long this show has gone. <gasps> way, way, way longer than I had anticipated. Mainly because I can't keep track of time because the show crashed halfway through, right. so I don't know where we're at in time. But also because Rodrigo, after Saturday, this is the last regular uh, show that Rodrigo will be on for a while because he's mm -hmm. going on vacation. He'll be on the Saturday show. Right. That'll be your last chance to hear him in 2010. Yep. Uh, he'll be back in 2011. He's not leaving us permanently, but he's going to be gone for a couple of weeks, so we can give That's you right. a little bit of more Rodrigo this week. Yep. So. Heading heading off to the Great White North. Ohio. All right, thanks so much for taking the time to be part of the Major Spoilers experience. Don't forget to check out the Major Spoilers website and everything associated with that. Next week, as I mentioned, Rodrigo is out of town, so Matthew and I are going to go back and check out the third volume of Starman from DC Comics. Why? Because Rodrigo didn't care for the comic, and Matthew and I did. And we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we'll talk with you soon. Dershtinkle! If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic bookstore guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler 
away If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on? Guess I mean terrific this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge chance? Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010